Well, this morning we are continuing to move through a series of messages and called Your Best You. And uh, what we've been doing in this series is we've been examining many ways that we can become really the best versions of ourselves. The versions that God initially created us and now calls us to be. And the way we've been doing that is we've been looking at the scriptures, which I think is through some life-altering verses that can help lead us towards a radical process of transformation for, for our lives to, to make them better. So, so a major push, not only in this particular seven-week series called Your Best uh, You, but really that, that seven-week series is part of a year-long initiative called Core 52. And uh, Core 52, the thing I'm most excited about, honestly, with Core 52... Uh, the book is great. The essays that the, the author, Mark Moore, wrote are, are wonderful. They're fabulous. The, the supplemental text he's trying to, to, to capture throughout the scriptures is great, uh, to read the Bible. The thing I'm most excited about is the scripture memorization. I think as United Methodists over the past several generations, we have done a terrible job, myself included, with, with scripture memorization. And, and Core 52 is getting us back into this necessity to memorize God's word, to get God's word into you and into me. Uh, I've, I've been telling uh, different services I've preached at throughout this series that, 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 you know, where I have come to realize how important it is to memorize scripture has really come out of the persecuted church. I read a lot of testimonies from, testimonials from people that are being persecuted their faith around the world. And, you know, when those people writing those testimonies are put in prison, they're not handed their Bible. So the only Bible they have is what's in here, and what's in here. Now, you and I probably in America won't be persecuted to that degree where we're thrown in prison without our Bibles uh, uh, for our faith. But we all go through difficult moments, don't we? Anguishing and grief-stricken moments. And in those moments, are you able to recall the truths and the principles of God's Word? Friends, we, we need to engage God's words, hear the words written to us by our creator, by the one who breathed life into us, right? We need to turn to him, not self-help gurus and guides. When it comes to being comforted in moments of grief, when it comes to attaining wisdom to make decisions, important decisions, when it comes to reconcile relationships that have been torn asunder. As the psalmist says in, in Psalm 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path. So we're in week six of this series, and every week we got another verse we want to memorize. Now, I'm not going to go through all those verses this morning. You know, by 52 weeks, it's going to be how many sermons in one, right? If we try to, Brian, Rob, and I try to memorize all these verses for you each week and, 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 and then share them with you on Sunday morning. But I want to do the most recent one. That was the hardest one and probably will be the hardest one throughout this whole series. So I'm hoping Psalm 1, 1 to 3 didn't break you when it comes to scripture memorization, okay? Uh, this week's a little bit easier. But last week, if you remember, we talked about happiness. And uh, the scripture was, Happy are those who do not seek the counsel of the wicked, who do not tread the path of the sinner, or who does not sit in the seat of scoffer. But their delight is in the law of the Lord on which they meditate day and night. For they are like a tree planted by streams of living water who yield its fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither. And all they do, they prosper. Can you do that? You can do that. If I can memorize that, you all can memorize Scripture that long, okay? 
Well, this morning, we're going to look at a memory verse that's a lot shorter than Psalm 1, 1 to 3. And it's going to come out of Philippians 4, verses 6. Uh, And I'm going to add verse 7, because I think you have to add verse 7 to it. Uh, But the focus is going to be over the issue of worry. I, I think all of us worry to varying degrees about any number of things, don't we? Uh, Chuck Swindle calls worry the universal addiction. The Apostle Paul, Jesus understood our natural inclination to worry when the uncertainty of, uh, of times in life rise up. Uh, so Philippians 4, verse 6, Paul gives us this specific text, and it's really a command. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And you've got to add verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That is an awesome two verses to, to memorize. Um, you know, where, where uh, I got real excited about this particular verse uh, was this past, actually last night. Uh, my daughter Margaret is an incredible human being. Uh, when she was uh, born, I had laid on my heart to pray for her when it came to, came to being an evangelist. I really felt like the Lord was calling her to be an evangelist, to be somebody who just shares the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody she meets, family, friends, even strangers. And uh, Maggie has taken North Canton Middle School by storm. She is going to single-handedly grow our youth group here at Church of the Lakes. Every week she's bringing more people from her middle school to come to, to, to church, to come to youth group on Wednesday evenings. And I'm real excited about that, and I, I'm generally uh, switched out, out vehicles with my wife, getting the minivan so I can drive all these kids home on my way, my way home on Wednesday evenings. Anyways, this past Wednesday, one of her f- friends came, and uh, uh, Maggie asked him in a text later that night, is he going to come back? And he said, I don't think so. My parents don't want me to be a Christian. And so Meredith, or Meredith, Maggie says to him, well, you don't have to be a Christian to come to church. Just come to church. It's good to be part of this type of community, that this type of fellowship will learn about, about God, and maybe someday you'll want to be a Christian. And uh, he said again, I, I don't think I'm going to come back because my parents don't want me to be a Christian. And she's telling me this last night, and I'm feeling really bad for her. I'm sorry, Maggie. I know it's got to be discouraging. You've got to be worried about him. He goes, she goes, no. This week, Paul's telling us, do not be anxious about anything. But but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Friends, North Canton Middle School does not know what they're up against. (laughs) And my daughter, Margaret Elise. They don't. But when it comes to worry, don't you hate it when people tell you not to worry? It's really easy to say, a lot harder to actually do. It's like when people tell you not to worry, you, you wish they knew more of the story and what you were going through. Because if they did, you know that they too would worry. Well, in Matthew 6, that J- Jane read a moment ago, uh, Jesus, like the Apostle Paul, condemns worry. Jesus actually says it, if I can say this in a nutshell, he says our worrying shows a lack of confidence in the person, the character, and the ability of God. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6 and let Jesus challenge us this morning when he speaks about the birds and about the flowers. In this passage, Jesus offers three critical main points that I think we need to be able to take home, receive, digest, and live out. The first one is this. Jesus says to us that worry makes us think too little about God. Worry makes us think too little 
about God. So, so this is probably the most profound and counterintuitive point in this entire passage out of Matthew chapter 6. You know, most of us think worry is this natural emotion that, that naturally arises out of the uncertainties of life. Jesus says that's not it at all. He says actually worry is an emotion that is intimately connected to our deepest desires. Well, what does he mean? We worry most about what we're devoted to most. Here's a, an example. I don't really worry about your job. Why? Because I'm not devoted to your job, right? Well, like if you were to call me up this afternoon and say, Jared, I, I, I'm done at work in two weeks. If you, you were saying that because you were retiring, I, I'd celebrate with you. If you were saying that due to downsizing, I would have compassion for you. I'd pray with you. I would see how I can connect you to different people to be able to retain a new job. But it's difficult for me to really worry about your job because I'm not devoted to your job like you're devoted to your job. I don't worry about my children's grades. To be honest, I don't even know what my children's grades are. That's what their mother's for, right? To, 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 to worry and, and be concerned about their grades. Yeah, I don't worry where you're taking your next family vacation, right? I, I mean, I'm happy you're taking vacation with your family to refresh and, and refuel in that way. To, but whether it's to Hawaii, the Caribbean, Chicago, Hawking Hills, I don't care. Does that make sense? Friends, we worry about the things in life that we're most devoted to. Which, by the way, is why Jesus starts out his conversation on worry challenging what most people are most devoted to. Verse 25 starts out with the word, therefore. And you know, whenever you see the word, therefore, in the Bible, what do you have to do? You have to ask a question, right? What is therefore? Therefore. Yeah, David's got it. He's on. And so we have to look at the verse, at least the verse that is before verse 25 to understand the, the importance of where Jesus is going because therefore is connecting two thoughts, two very important thoughts together. So Jesus starts out by saying, no one can serve two masters for a slave will ha either hate one and le uh, love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, so on and so forth. Friends, what Jesus is saying is, well, what he knows, because he created us, is he knows that what we worry about most as human beings is what we're devoted to most. And what he knows most human beings are most devoted to and why they worry so much is because they're most devoted to money. In a sense, what Jesus is saying, if you're devoted to money, then you're going to worry about money all the time. You're going to think about how to get money all the time and how not to lose money all the time. Jesus then asks a really important question on the back, back end of this. He offers this uh, really indictment on humanity, tells us not to worry, and he adds this, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, is money really what defines the good life? How many of us think money is the ingredient for a good life? Right? Jesus is saying it's not. And he does so by giving us examples, uh, two different illustrations, that of the birds and of the flowers. So he says in start, verse 26, Consider the birds of the sky. They neither sow or reap or gather in barns, yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Meaning, birds don't spend a lot of time thinking about money, do they? <laughs> 
Yet, they never seem to lack. Why? Because God, their creator, takes care of them. Goes on to talk about the flowers of the field. Consider the flowers in the field. They don't labor or spin thread, yet not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these, meaning flowers don't spend a lot of time worrying about looking good, right? Why? Because their creator has adorned their lives. Now, please don't mishear me, okay? The point is not that we shouldn't save or that we're we're not allowed to spend money on on things that, that are nice for ourselves. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying in Matthew 6 is that we should not be devoted to money as the primary source of security and beauty because God promises to take care of all these things. The key point is in verse 33 where Jesus says, but, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. In other words, be devoted first to God Be concerned with pleasing God, doing God's will. Focus on obeying God with the resources he entrusts to you. And then God will take care of everything else, including your security and your beauty. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, offers really a great perspective, I I think, on how to articulate uh, what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 6. It's it's called the first things, second things principle. So so when it comes to, to worrying about money, people generally fall into one of two camps. Both, by the way, of which Jesus offers illustration to in Matthew chapter 6. So for some, money is a source of security. So their favorite thing to do when they get money is to save money, right? And if they get extra money, like a bonus at work or a side hustle, they'll either uh, put that in the bank or they'll somehow invest that into the market. So, So money is a source of security. For others, money is a source of beauty, of significance, of joy. So when they get money, what do they do with it? They spend it, right? They upgrade their lives. They, they upgrade their cars. They upgrade their, their wardrobe. So they're savers and there are spenders. And somehow God in his sense of humor always matches these two types of people up in a marriage, right? <laughs> so, so they always bark at one another as, you know, who has the problem with money? The, the savers say the spenders are too uh, um, irresponsible. The spenders say the savers are a little too uptight. Jesus is going to meet them both in the middle and say, you both got a problem with money, just going in different directions. And the reason he says that is both are devoted to money as a necessary aspect of the good life. The savers need to remember the birds, right? The spenders need to remember the flowers. He tells them both, devote yourself instead to God. Let God be the primary source of your security and of your joy. Therefore, make God your first thing, and he'll take care of all your second things. By the way, this first thing, second thing principle by C.S. Lewis doesn't have to just be about money, right? It could be about anything. It could be about parenting, for instance. Jesus could say, don't worry about your parenting. Look at the birds of the air. Do they worry about parenting? No, at a certain time, what do they do? They kick their bird out of the nest and they say, fly, fly. And most of the birds are able to fly and everything just turns out fine. Marriage works the same thing. Don't worry about marriage or your education, or your friendships, or your career aspirations. You can go on and on and on. Let me ask the question. How much worry 
is tied up in our society right now? Like, what's been the most pressing bit of worry in our, in our minds? Some balloons, right, flying over our country, Montana, Mississippi. I mean, we are all so worried. Everyone is so anxious all the time about everything. You know, do you think if we put a little more of our energy into our discipleship, into seeking hard after the things of God, most of the things we worry about would kind of iron themselves out? Again, Jesus isn't saying, sit back, I got this, right? What he is saying is, is if you do everything in obedience to me, if you do the very best of your ability, trust me with the results. Don't stress about it. Again, point number one, worry causes us to think too little about our God. Second point, worry minimizes how much we think God thinks of us. Let that sink in for a second. Worry uh, minimizes how much we think God thinks about us. After Jesus offers the illustration of the worry-free life when it comes to birds and, and flowers, and again, they're worried free because they trust God for their provision, Jesus goes on to ask a really important question, and I think the question is rhetorical in nature. He says this, aren't you worth more than they? Aren't you worth more than birds and flowers? Aren't you who, who I scooped up the dust from the ground to form in my hands and breathe in you the breath of life? Aren't you worth more than birds and flowers? Friends, he's saying that if God is the kind of God that's going to care for the safety of birds and flowers, don't you think he's going to care for you and me? What Jesus is doing in this moment is he's pointing us to the character of God, the goodness of God. I mean, isn't it obvious by just looking at creation how much God loves to bless and prosper? Right? Our God is a good, good Father who loves to bless and prosper. He cares for the birds. He cares for the, the begonias. He cares for you. In, in Luke's gospel, Jesus teaches something, uh, the same thing, just a little differently. He says this, Luke 12, verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. How pleased was God to give us the kingdom? Pleased enough to send us his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, hear me. If God loves us enough to give us Jesus, would he really neglect our day-to-day -day needs? Romans 8, 32. Paul says, God who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us, of us, how will he not with Jesus also give us everything else? Friends, what more could God do to prove to you his commitment to you? What more does he have to do to prove his commitment? This reminds me of my most recent family vacation. Uh, took my family down to Disney World, probably the one and only time we will do this, uh, to Disney. Uh, we went this past November. And, uh, man, you know how much it costs to go to Disney, right? This is probably the one and only time we're going to go to Disney. Uh, but we were in one of the parks hustling and bustling. We were trying to get as much bang for our buck. It's after the noon hour. One of my kids comes out to me and goes, are we ever going to get something to eat? <laughs> I'm wondering to myself, do you honestly think I drove you 16 hours down to Florida to starve you? 
Like, isn't being here enough to show my commitment to you? Do you know how much it costs to go to Disney World? Right? Like, do you think I stood in line for two hours to ride It's a Small World for me? Surely if I care enough to bring you to the happiest place on earth, I care enough to feed you. Church, surely if God cares enough to send us his son to hang on a cross and die in humiliation, we can trust him with our bills, with our relationships, with our families, with our church. What does worry say? Worry says God is able to take you to heaven, but he can't handle you here on earth. Worry tells us that God is good for eternity. He's got that, but insufficient for the present. Worry whispers that God yet can deliver us from damnation, but won't work out the details of our lives. Worry, friends, scoffs at the promises of God. That's why Jesus says that it's the Gentiles who worry about all these things. Gentiles is a term they use in the Bible to, to, to uh, be synonymous with like an unchristian or an ungodly person. The Gentiles worry about these things, not the people of God. God has always been, will always be more devoted to our good than we can ever hope or ever imagine. That's point two, friends. Worry minimizes how much God, we think God thinks of us. Third and final point, worry is a false prophet. Well, what does that mean? Worry is a false prophet. What do false prophets do? They offer false solutions, right? They make false promises. They, they make false predictions. I, I get it. Worrying about stuff somehow makes us feel a little better in the moment, doesn't it? Well, like somehow if we devote energy to anxiety then we're doing something profitable to rectify whatever we're worried about. Jesus is going to nip that in the bud right away. Two ways he's going to make that a false claim. The first, worrying doesn't actually change anything, does it? He gives another rhetorical question in Matthew 6. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your day? No. That's the first thing he says. Worrying doesn't actually change anything. The second thing he says, the vast number of things we worry about, guess what? never actually happen. It's like paying interest on a debt you may or may not incur, right? He says it in the final verse. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow because each day will have enough trouble of its own. But guess who also is with you tomorrow? Jesus. And if Jesus will give you strength for today, he's also going to give you the strength for tomorrow. This is what the Lord did for the Israelites, didn't, didn't he? During the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They spent 400 years in captivity in Egypt. God raises up Moses to be used as his instrument to free his people from slavery. They, they, they get out of Egypt. They cross over the Red Sea on dry ground because miraculously God split the water in, in half. And they, they get into the Sinai Desert. They wander for 40 years because of unfaithfulness to God. But even though they were unfaithful, God remained faithful. Because in those 40 years, he always provided for their needs. One way he provided for their needs is um, uh, their physical nourishment. Is every morning, they would walk out of their tent, and there would be this thing called manna all over the ground for them to consume to eat. Uh, manna literally means, what is this? 
And we think it's some type of carbohydrate, so we equate it to bread. So, but and listen, even if you have a gluten intolerance like I do, I'm sure God would have accommodated that, that dietary issue. But, but every morning they'd wake up, walk out of their tent, and they would gather their bread. But here was the, 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 the key. You could only take what you needed for that day. Trusting God would provide for tomorrow, tomorrow. Now, of course, there were some warriors amongst the Israelites back then, and they tried to hoard and stockpile, only to have that turn rotten and start forming maggots. Maggots, almost as bad as snakes, right? They had to trust God would provide for their need each and every single day. What was God teaching them? Same thing he's teaching us. Don't worry about tomorrow. I will send whatever you need for tomorrow. Tomorrow. Church, tomorrow will have trouble. You know that, right? Look to your neighbor and say, you know something? Something's going to go wrong next week. Real quick. Jimmy, Marty, something's going to go wrong next week. I'm promising you. Something's going to go wrong next week. But, But there's a way we can face the uncertainty of tomorrow or next week without worrying today. You know what it is? Simply believe. Believe, friends, because he lives, I can face tomorrow, amen? Because he lives, all fear is gone. Believe because I know he holds the future. My life is worth the living just because he lives. I love how Charles Spurgeon says it. He says, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It only empties today of its strength. And worry is a false prophet. Do you know they did the false prophets in the Old Testament? Anyone want to throw out a guess? They stoned them. They killed false prophets. Every time worry conjures itself up in your heart, friend, you got to kill it right away. you got to stone it to death and then turn your attention to the one true prophet, the one who never lies, who has never failed, who always keeps his promises. Turn your eyes to Jesus. And not only is Jesus that true prophet who's never lied, who always keeps his promises, but he's also the prophet that took everything that we might be afraid of and that he took everything that we may worry about and he put it away on the cross. And he tells us to trust him today. Friends, the God who saved you yesterday, who has delivered you today, will surely provide for you tomorrow. Just believe. Believe and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, I I love the lyrics of that beloved hymn, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, All Fear Is Gone. Lord, we live in a society that works to keep us on edge all the time, to keep us filled with fear all the time. Lord, I I think our world wants us to take our eyes off of you and be consumed with worry, be consumed with, with fear so we can rely on the world to save us. Lord, may we, your people, learn to push back and keep self focused on the resurrected Savior, your Son. And also seek after you and your righteousness, knowing full well that you will keep us safe, secure, that you will keep us well cared for, just as you do the birds and the flowers. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.